Wadeiru fam and aliens who might be listening from the future. I guess it would be the present for you guys now. Anyways, welcome to another episode of the Myths That Make Us podcast. Today, we have on the founder and the developer of the Walla Method, Joel Crandall. Joel, Joel. I asked if his name was pronounced Joel or Joel, and he uh, politely let me know that Joel is how it is if you're a female, and I did not know that. So, Joel Crandall came on the podcast. So the Walla method is this, um, at least the way that I've encountered it and people at work have encountered it because there are, there's a Walla, I guess there's two Walla practitioners that do body work here at Onnit. And um, the results have just been fucking incredible. But essentially what it seems to be that they do is they start with um, like they'll stretch you and they'll work on your body. They put you on a table and they move your limbs around. But they'll eventually start um, using a technique with their hands to basically let their body read your body. And they consciously ask questions and then they use the feedback from their body, which seems like a tool to access their unconscious um, to basically tell them what part of your body needs working on. And before they actually try to do anything physical to your body, they will go through a checklist of what emotions might be in that part of your body. And once they establish what emotion is in that part of the body, they'll um, find what age range in your past that that emotion kind of got locked in that part of your body. And then they will begin to ask you, or they'll tell you, I'm starting to feel um, your 10-year-old self in your shoulder is feeling fear. What would you like them to feel instead of fear? And then you give a response and they um, will check with themselves to see if that releases it. And they'll tell you no sometimes. And then they'll keep asking you until they feel like they find a yes. And guys, I am a skeptic, but I am also someone who's open-minded to trying stuff. This sounded like some woo-woo bullshit. And then I did it. And I had some of the most profound... Um, I had a profound um, experience on that table to the point where I was weeping in there. It, it's super interesting. And... Um, if you're interested in body work, if you're interested in psychology, and if you're interested in how the body might store trauma slash emotional memories, um, the Walla method is super interesting. And uh, I had the chance to interview the founder of it on this podcast today. And it was amazing. He was super open and candid and we had a really good conversation. And so um, I think you're going to love it. As always, if you want to support the podcast, the most direct way that you can go about doing that is dropping a rating and a review. If you're interested in um, what I'm dancing with each week, you can get on my email list by going to erigati.com. And um, as always, thank you guys for giving this your time and your attention. This is an interesting one. I love you all. Namaste. Joel, thank you for coming on the Myths That Make Us podcast. 
Um, I have a set of questions that I normally ask people at the beginning, but you have such an interesting body of work that I want to get into that I'll ask you some of the questions that I tend to ask at the beginning, but then I'm sure that we're going to get into you know your life's work. Perfect. Look forward to it. Let's do it, Eric. So the question that I like to ask to give people listening a sense of who I'm talking to is if I met you just after you did something that gave you like a peak flow state and I asked you, who are you? What do you do? What would you say? I would say that I help people and myself balance to the universe, meaning their physical body, their spiritual body, and their emotional body. And if I asked your best friend who you are and what do you do, what would they say? That's a great question. They would say, uh, you'd probably have to ask them, but I think what they would <laughs> say, um, very caring, uh, very giving, uh, funny, uh, smart, but not in a book smart way, mm. <laughs> right? Uh, just, just care about people yeah. and, and, w- and want the best for them. What was your most recent lover say who you are and what do you do? Good question. She's like number three uh, karate champion in the world. So <laughs> she was pretty quiet. Uh, what would she say? Well, I that's a really good question. I don't know what she would say because she wasn't all that talkative. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think we really helped each other mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, she helped me in some of the development of the work that I do now uh, with like her meditation practice and whatnot, but I was, and I helped her in her karate practice because she didn't get number three until I met with her and she's she was like 48 at the time. So she was mm-hmm. one of the oldest uh, competitors oh, cool. at the time. And uh, so I was she would come home and she's like, oh, this hurts, can you fix it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it really helped with her speed. Like she's yeah, yeah, lightning yeah. fast, just lightning fast. What would your father say who you are and what do you do? I am the world's greatest human being ever. (laughs) (laughs) That's an easy question. That's awesome. He's like my biggest fan. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. It's, he thinks I can do no wrong. I can, but in his eyes, no. For sure. Yeah. What would your mother say who you are and what do you do? Well, she's not here any longer. And this is kind of where the work came from is from her. And, um, my mom also didn't speak very much, um, but she would be very proud. Very yeah. proud. Yeah. And this last question of these type of questions, some people, super easy to answer for others is really hard. Let's say that you were in an altered state of consciousness or a dream or something, and you came into contact with that force that we call God. What would that thing say you are and what you're doing? Well, I've done it. And I've experienced it. I've also experienced kind of floating in the universe, and it's the most peaceful place ever. Um, I recently, Erica, just had an experience like this uh, where I was sleeping kind of in that flow state. And sometimes I'll check and I'll test, like, who am I speaking to or who is speaking to me? And I usually ask, is it my mom first? Mm-hmm. And I got, no. So I'm, you know, asking, is it my grandfather? And I get, no, I go, is it God? And I got, yes. And I was just like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> it, it, it wasn't intense. It was just, uh, basically the message I got was just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. 
So it was almost like he was happy with what I was doing as well. Affirmation for sure. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty cool experience, Eric. <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. It, I, I only get there with a lot of mushrooms or something like that. <laughs> so an altered state. For sure. Um, so kind of, kind of shifting gears, what do you remember as your first memory or your first experience? My very first memory, I was three years old. I'll never forget this. I was wearing red jeans and a green uh, hoodie. Very fashionable kid. Hey. <laughs> you know? And I was walking around to the back of our house. And there's a rose bush there. Like I said, I very vividly remember this. And I heard a voice and there was no one around. Mm -hmm. And the voice was, what are you doing here? Wow. So your first memory is... That was my first memory. Wow. Um, what was the primary emotion that's attached to that memory? Because for some people, it feels I like it would be fear. I don't know if it was an like emotion to yeah. it. It was just kind of who said that. And I looked mm -hmm. around, there was no one there. And I think even at three years old, I had a sense that it was God. Yeah. Even though I'm not religious. For I sure. just had this feeling that that's God asking, what are you doing here? Kind of like what are you gonna do with your life interesting you know in the presence of the rosebush in the presence of the rosebush mm. yeah um what do you so uh children have this weird habit where if you give them a story that they like whether it's a book or a movie they will demand that you read it or play it over and over and over and over again do you remember what story was kind of the first story that you demanded of your caretakers to play or to read to you over and over again I was playing all the time. I don't ever recall having a specific book or, or you now I came from a different age where we didn't have VCRs and, and whatnot. Wait, what? what? <laughs> right. So we didn't have anything that you just played over and over yeah. again. So I really didn't watch much TV as a kid. I was always outside playing mm -hmm. uh, and I was always playing football or, yeah. or wiffle ball, tennis ball with the neighbors. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly outside playing. Did your parents read uh, stories to you when you went to bed? I don't recall that at all. Interesting. No. So then, but I'm a huge Dr. Seuss fan. Yeah. So let's just get into that. Yeah. So what is the first Dr. Seuss book that comes to mind? Uh, the King and the Stilts. I don't know that one. So this is, and I I can explain kind of the psychology behind this question after we get into it. Sure. But it's, it's so interesting. But if you we're imagining that you were going to tell that story in your own words to a niece or a nephew or a son or, or a daughter. And it's, let's say that they're 10 and it's nighttime and they're saying, please tell me a story. If you had to take two to three minutes to kind of tell that story in your own way, how would you tell that story to that child? I'd like to go back and reread the book now, <laughs> now that you brought it up, Eric. Um, I, what I think I got out of it most was... And so I'm going to challenge you is to, sure. in, in, instead of explaining it, try to tell it like I'm the 10-year-old. Oh, okay. You're the 10-year-old. Okay. So there's this king, and he's ruling over his land, and this major flood comes. And there's these massive trees that have these big roots that are grounded, and the water comes up to the roots, but the trees are starting to get knocked over from the river. And the king decides he's going to make these stilts to get above the water from these tree roots. So it's all about how would you adapt? How would you overcome an obstacle? Yeah. So how would you overcome an obstacle?
Hmm. I think I would climb the tree instead of actually make stilts. But the water is coming up and the trees are getting knocked over. Hmm. I'm not sure what I would do. So that's where I come along with my stilts and I give you a ride. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> right? So I'm always going to be there for you. Heard. Who do you remember being the first two to three people, either real or fictional, that you admired as a child? Mm. My dad was my big hero. Mm. For sure. Got teary eyed just saying that. Um, Mr. Curtis, who was our gym teacher mm -hmm. in elementary school, he's the first one that came up with a nickname for me. And he recently passed away. And uh, as a child, my uncle, my uncle Gibb, who actually just also just passed away, he, uh, he just was like the coolest guy. Yeah, you know, it was back in the day where you rolled up cigarettes in your in your, <laughs> in your sleeves and rode motorcycles yeah. and was a mechanic and stuff. Yeah. And yeah, he would he would be the other one. So what's cool is you're already starting to answer the next question because it's almost kind of like uh, implicit in how we think about the people that we admire. But if you had to state the one quality in each of the three that you most admired, what was the quality? So there are three people, so three qualities. All three people, three squad, but the big one is strength. Mm -hmm. My my dad was like to me at that time was like the biggest dude in the world. For sure, <laughs> you know I mean his, sure. his arms were just massive. Uh, it's kind of funny to see him now. Yeah. Uh, so strength, uh, character comes in. And how uh, would you define that? Yeah, that's a good question. With character, um, I always knew that Mister Curtis had my best interest in mind. Right. Even though he was my gym teacher, and uh, but he was also funny. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a big thing. And, uh, my uncle, he was just a hard worker and just loved motorcycles. And I just saw freedom for sure. The freedom. Yeah, yeah. 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 What's cool is so like our primary way of learning, even before we learn to talk is to imitate. And it's like, there's this force in us that knows the type of people that if we imitated them, we would have the best chance of becoming the person that we know that we're like meant to be, mm -hmm. you know? And so the things that we admire are the traits that we know that we can take on, you yeah, know, absolutely. Like all those traits I can see here now, you know, yeah. which is an interesting thing. So the reverse side of that question is harder for people to kind of get to, but who are the two to three, either fictional or non-fictional characters that you, mo that you felt the most resistance to growing up? This is an interesting answer. It's God. Same actually. Yeah, it, it, it's God. I, I guess I read the book of uh, can't remember, but the guy that got swallowed by the fish, and then he, uh, Jonah. Jonah, yeah. And I read that book, and I was like, "Fuck oh. that, dude!" Yeah. Rude. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. "That doesn't make sense to me." Yeah. But now I realize it's a metaphor for sure. It was just a metaphor. Yeah. But at that time, that really turned me away from God. Mm -hmm. I guess. And now I talk about it all the time. For sure. So it's just really interesting. And if you have to, if you had to say two more people or characters, two more people or characters that uh, resistant. God, I didn't grow up with a lot of resistance. Um, so I'm trying to think who it might be. 
Yeah, and it's weird, like the nature of our mind, the things that we resist don't come to memory easily, you right. know, so it's kind of a... Yeah. That's a really cool question, actually, because I, I just don't remember it. I started sure, not yeah, recalling yeah. anything as a kid because I, I, was, I was supported by everyone. Because I grew up in a very tiny town of mm -hmm. 700 people. Wow. So everybody knew who I was and I knew who they were, mm -hmm. you know. So if I went running, they would stop and see so if I needed a ride. Yeah. <laughs> you know, instead I sure. was you know, out for exercise. And I guess maybe so I always had that support. The question is, was there a villain from any movie as a child or even as like a, you know, like even closer to like 10 or 11 that you most just that really stuck out? The Exorcist. Interesting. Yeah. Especially movie, given your line of work, like yeah. I feel like that energy is something that you guys probably confront. That movie scared the crap out of yeah. me. And when it came out for its 20th anniversary, mm -hmm. I was afraid to go see it. Wow. And I went to go see it. I'm like, oh, that's nothing to be afraid of. Yeah. But as a kid, I watched it as a kid. <laughs> probably not the best Probably not a right good there. move, man. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that, that movie scared the crap out of yeah. me. Yeah. So who would you articulate is the villain in that movie? Oh, it was the little girl. I yeah. Guess. Yeah. So what was the trait in your understanding of God as a child, the version of God that you had resistance to? What was the thing that you were seeing that you were like, no, I guess the anger. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the anger. And then what about the girl from the exorcist? Well, that's why I was pulling the anger Same. from her. Oh, I see. Yeah. 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 So the, uh, what I'm doing with that question is it seems to be that the traits in the um, characters or the people that we resisted the most growing up, that that's the most potent part of our shadow. Mm -hmm. Do yep. you know what I'm saying? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And absolutely. Yeah, I have an angry side. For sure. Yeah. We all do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Why deny it? Yeah. <laughs> right? um, if we kind of had to... So I really like to get at what are the qualities that we admired as a kid because that kind of like sets our compass for what we're going to try to be. And then I really think what's important, I think anyone who's going to get on a podcast is the type of person that found a thing at some point in their early life where that it gave them a sense of competence. So like it's a sport mm -hmm. or some skill that they got good at young and they realized, oh, I'm not like everybody else at this thing. Mm -hmm. What was your first kind of skill that gave you the sense of, whoa, I can actually accumulate power in the world and be better. Yeah, it was, it was definitely sports for yeah. me. Um, I had uh, cousins that were much older than me that my mom helped raise. And then they, in turn, Help make you an athlete. <laughs> help make me an athlete because they would help raise me. Like yeah, if yeah. they were going somewhere, they would say, Hey, Joel, why don't you come along? And I was just this young little kid. But, uh, softball was a big thing in, in our town it was a very community thing mm. and i was one of the youngest players but one of the better players so we had a little town team and we would travel to other towns that's really and cool play. yeah so i remember at 13 years old going to a minimum security prison which you had to be 16 to get into wow and i'm 13 and i'm playing softball against these inmates whoa and i threw a ball from the outfield and i could hear all the inmates don't run on that kid <laughs> wow yeah. so i knew there was something in my gun <laughs> at that sure. time i could throw a ball yeah yeah and i think that there's like uh that especially young kids 
if, 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 they're, if they're going to dare think that they can go out into the world and change anything, they kind of have to have that feeling at some point in their like teenage years of like, whoa, people are giving me objective feedback that I'm doing something different. That's like above the norm. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious, it tends to be that whatever the thing is that gives us that feeling as a teenager becomes the first thing that we're obsessed with thinking this is what I'm meant to be. So like, if it's sports, like I thought I was meant to be in the NBA. I was so stupid, <laughs> Yeah. but like, that was the first thing that gave me that sense of power. Um, what was your first like goal that you dreamt up of what you felt like you were meant to be? NFL. Yeah. It was the NFL for sure. Um, I always saw Eric as, like I said, I came from a town of 700 people. My first memory is God speaking to me. I knew deep down my soul would die if I stayed there. Yeah. And a lot of my friends have still stayed there and I knew I couldn't. So in my mind, football was my way out. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's different from many other people that are playing professional sports now. They see it as their way out. And I saw that as my freedom to express myself. And the interesting thing about that is football is what actually got me to what I do today because I can't play anymore and I got injured playing. Yeah. So this is beautiful. And you're already starting to answer where I was going to take this, which is, uh, you know, I think it's just a reflection of it's, it's how the mind works. But I think for a lot of people, and I think it's good to experience this earlier, especially if you're able to get through it. But there's the death of that first dream, yeah, which feels like the destruction of your world. Yes, because I thought NBA was my destiny, <laughs> and then I tore my rotator cuff, and for like a year, I just gained like 50 pounds and just yeah. sat and ate pop tarts and really didn't really know what I was doing the with my life. Sets in. Yeah, yeah. So I'm curious, especially for people listening, what was that first confrontation with like the depths of like my life is broken. Like what was that injury and what was your, I'm on the bathroom floor moment? It was on the football field. It was in college. It was our red, white scrimmage. So it was just before the season started. And, uh, I took the ball up the middle and I got tripped up and I put my hand down and I lifted my head, which drops your hips and brings you back up to the, up to your feet. As soon as I did that, the safety hit me right square in the forehead. And I ended up in a seated position like we are now. And I had a whiteout. Everything turned white. And I remember handing the ball to the football coach who was standing behind us because it was a scrimmage. I handed the ball to him and I, outside of my body, watched my body walk off the field. And didn't really understand or know what happened at the time. Um, but then I tried to come back and play. I couldn't feel my feet. So every time I tried to make a cut, I would just fall. And I went over to talk to the trainer. My head would just bob because of the weight of the helmet. I could not hold up the weight of the helmet anymore. And uh, I had to crawl to the athletic training room because I couldn't walk. I was yeah. getting such back, bad back spasms. So I knew at that moment that was the end of my career. So I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be going to the NFL. And it got pretty dark, uh, yeah. kind of like you. I, I lost a lot of weight. I weighed about 203 maybe at the time. I probably went down to like 190, yeah. but, but fat. Sure. Yeah, I gained <laughs> 40 pounds of fat. Yeah. I lost 40 pounds but got fat. Yeah. 
but uh, but you didn't real really realize until you don't realize you're in fog until you get out of the fog. Amen. Which is the yeah. You know, I think so many people are walking around in fog and they have no idea. Yeah. It's it's such a weird thing. Like when people ask me if I've ever been depressed, I feel like I'm lying if I say yes, but I know at that point in my life I was, but I was so disconnected from the way that I felt that truly from my remembering self now, it doesn't feel like I was in depression. It felt like that's somebody else and he was just in a coma, but could walk and drive, you know, and it lasted like eight months. Right. And I think I'm a few years older than you. So I was probably (laughs) in that fog a little bit longer uh, because I really didn't come out of it until, well, my mom passed away. So I went deeper into the fog, but then it lifted. So I was in that fog for like 20 some years. Whoa. So the question that I think is really important for people is what was your moment of recognizing that you were in the fog and that you were going to start to change to come out? When I got to the point where I would be having a conversation with somebody and somebody would come and not interrupt the conversation, but maybe join the conversation and I would forget what you and I were talking about and I would forget your name. Wow. Yeah. That's when I knew something was really happening that I needed to get a hold of and take care of. So then kind of, can you start to tell us the story of um, what you did to get out of the belly of the whale? My mom died and I was, I'll never forget this. I was working on a client, Eric, and my phone rang. I'm going to cry. So, And I asked the client, I go, you have to leave. He goes, why? I go, I don't know. You need to leave. And I answer the phone. That's my dad. And he's telling me my mom passed away. How old are you when this happened? This happened five years ago, five and a half years ago. And, uh, so that night I was afraid to go to sleep. So I was fighting to stay awake. So about 3.30, I finally went and laid down. And as soon as I Were laid down. Were you afraid to go to sleep? I wasn't sure. But as soon as I closed my eyes, my mom showed up. She came to check on me. The cool part about it, Eric, is she was young and beautiful. So I go home and see my dad. And he shows me a, her graduation picture. Well, I'm like, and I'd never seen it. Right. I'm like, that's who came to see me. Yeah. So it was pretty fascinating. So that's where this actually, the work that I do came from was kind of that moment. Uh, it woke me up. It literally woke me up. So I kind of had my Sartori moment. Yeah. And so I think to give people context, for those 20 years that you were in the fog, what was your profession? Like, what were you doing? Like, what skills were Helping you? other people get better. Yeah. And was I, it- I was doing uh, personal training. Okay. I was doing uh, active isolated stretching. Yeah. And uh, I was making them feel better, but I was feeling like crap myself. For sure. So if I worked out with a client or I worked out, it would take me four or five days to recover. That's when I started also knowing like something's not right here. For sure. I, why can't I work out hard and it's taking me a week to recover? Yeah. That's just not making any sense to me anymore. Yeah. And so your mom comes and visits you in that dream, then what happens? The whole world changed. 
like I literally woke up. I wasn't fog anymore. And did she say something to you specifically? Or I can't it, remember any words. It was just kind of the felt experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it was experiential for sure. Like I said, my mom wasn't big on words anyway. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So she just she just showed up to, to, and I just got the sense that she was just checking on me to make sure I was okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm I'm just curious. I'm trying to see what the path was from that moment to like here. Like like what did you start doing? What changed? Sure. What was different? What were the goals or the change in mindset or the behaviors? Well, I uh, again, it happened in my sleep. I woke up and I was having tremendous back pain and I figured out now, like when I'm having like toxic pain, that's when I'm getting a download. Interesting. Or I'm got, picking up somebody else's in pain or something. So I found out that's my coccyx. So I just started touching different areas of my body and I had no idea what I was doing. Right. And I found this little spot. I think it was my SI joint and I pushed on it. All of a sudden the pain went away and I went right back to sleep. So the next morning, I was like, what the hell was I doing? So I started looking up. Oh, so that kind of happened like in a hypnagogic state where you were in bed, but you weren't quite all the way awake yet, but you were awake. Oh, I, was, I was dead asleep and I was awoken by this toxic pain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I started researching all these places that I was touching. And then the word keystone came into my head. So I started looking, well, does the body have keystones to it? And I found all these spots where the body has keystones to Interesting. it. Interesting. And what is a keystone? A keystone, um, what well, we—it's it's the master stone. So it'd right. be like in an arch. It's the top piece. Right. And if you take that out, the whole structure falls apart. Interesting. Right. right so right. I decided, you know, I studied with a lot of the top body workers that are out there teaching now, and I went, well, why am I? spending time working on those things when I can just work on these keystones mm, and right. I can get results in like one tenth of the time that I was getting before. And I'm the kind of person I'm always doubting what I'm doing. I always want to put it to the test, put it to For the sure. challenge. And if it fails, then I need to make a change. Yeah. And putting this work together again, I was working on my girlfriend at the time and it didn't work for her. So I scrapped everything I had written and started over again. Mm. And so far, Eric, I have not found anything that this does not work for. Yeah. So it was just searching out what the keystones are in the body and going, why don't I just work on those? Because those are the master keys. Yeah. Why am I wasting time on muscles? It doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And would you say that the first kind of aha insight was the one in your SI? That was the big one. And then the following day, I was working on a client and I was doing uh, some muscle testing stuff and the client just wasn't getting any better. And I stepped back and I saw my mom out of the corner of my eye and she's always over my left shoulder and she's got her arms crossed and she's just <laughs> shaking her head no. So I'm like, well, what do you mean? So I just started scanning the body and I went, oh, it's their toe. I reached down, I made a correction to their toe and the person goes, oh, my back doesn't hurt. I went, you're joking. I don't even know what I did. I just touched your toe. You, you, you got to be kidding me that yeah. your back pain went away. She goes, no, I'm totally serious. My back pain has gone. Wow. So I went, oh, aha. That's another little aha moment. Yeah. Like, I got to keep studying this a little further to see what's really going on. Life. Yeah. Yeah, the aha moments. yeah. Yeah. They're fun. So then I guess for people listening, um, how would you explain what your system is to someone who might have no idea 
what it is? Like, what's kind of the first crumb trail that you would give to someone who's who's new? So it's a that's a really complicated question. You have to answer in four words. <laughs> Balance your body. Nice. Within three. Extra credit. But when I'm talking body, I'm not talking just your physical body. Mm-hmm. And that's why that question is is is, is simple, right. but it's also very complicated mm-hmm. because people try to compartmentalize everything into something that they can understand. But if I'm talking to you about landing on the moon, we had no experience to landing on the moon, so we have to actually go talk to John, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the guy who actually landed on right, the moon. Right. And he has to try to explain what it's like to yeah. us who's never done it. Right. But there's so many levels of things that are going on in the body all at the same time. Sure. You know, you with your rotator cuff lifting your arm, it's much more than just lifting your arm. For sure. Man. You got to get over the fear of you lifting the arm, yeah. et cetera, and everything that plays in with For that. Sure. So that's why it's a complicated question, but it's a beautiful question. Uh, and it's it's difficult for people to understand because you have to experience it. Right. What I find is fun about the body is once you balance something, all of a sudden the body starts to move and it starts to challenge movements that it couldn't do before without cueing. Right. And that's when you know that the body is in balance because when it will start challenging itself and start yeah. playing. Yeah. And it's just so beautiful to watch. Yeah. it's And I see this in domains in psychology that don't focus on the body. And it's where if you can make one adjustment, there's this innate healing force in the body that just, it just needs a little bit of room. And yes. then it starts to do its own thing. Yes. You know, and so there's this idea like in this like new wave of psychology where it's less like I'm the expert and you're the patient. And I, and I tell you what's wrong. It's more of this, I'm a midwife yeah, and I'm trying to help that thing in you come out. And then I get out of its way. It's kind of the new model that is gaining some traction in some different modalities. And that, and that's awesome. kind of what I'm seeing in this yeah. type of work that you guys are, because really you would, I think you could say that it's a somatic healing that, moves into psychological and spiritual healing yes that's that that, that that's pretty good I, I think just a lot of people may not understand what somatic is right, right, right. yeah you know so you might want to give them your definition of it's what somatic means felt experience of what happens in the body so yeah. it's body but it's it's your conscious experience of what's happening right because that's the only thing we can relate to right for sure our own body that's right? it. we can't relate to anything outside of that yeah. unless you're ready to experience something more outside of that so that's what's really interesting about the work that we do with voila is we start with them with the physical so they can get a sense of oh wow i am stronger in this position now mm-hmm. and then it starts opening up that world and what I have found, Eric, is you can't crack open the world too fast for, for them. Sure. Yeah. So people get upset because they want to learn what I know, but I have to give it to them in increments. For sure. And it's not out of I am trying to extract as much money from you as I can. No, sure. I am giving you the stepping stones to get to when you reach your highest ascension, you're not getting overwhelmed. Right. If you see me squatting 600 pounds and you haven't been in the gym, I am ir- I'm an irresponsible coach if I put you under that bar. That's yeah. not responsible. Right. Like I have to give you just your body weight and we'll teach you how to do some body weight squats 
and then maybe the bar and then maybe 25 pounds. Like I, I totally see what you're saying. And, um, but everybody wants to do the 600 for sure. For sure. And, <laughs> and that's why healthcare is what it is right now. Right. You know, billions of dollars. Yeah. Um, what I'm interested to hear, what was the story where what you were working on got to the point where you were ready to like, I'm going to make this a thing in the world, you know, because it's, it's an idea. Mm-hmm. What was your moment of like, I'm going to make this a thing that I'm going to actually like, this is going to be my profession in the world now. Right away. Soon as soon as I got the download and I started practicing on people and I kept getting results, I was like, I can't keep this to myself. Yeah. I need to share this with the world. And I remember I was talking to my best friend, Patrick, and I'm like, Patrick, and, and it, what's really fascinating about this, Eric, and it's kind of crazy. So my mom passed away in January. Obviously, I was still in some fog for a while, and I, I was practicing putting this together. The following March, I went out and started teaching it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it was so, pretty crazy that it was that quickly. Yeah. And my friend is like, I'm like, hey, I got this great information I want to share. He goes, set a date. I go, but I don't have a workbook together. I don't have this. He goes, set a date. You will. Yeah. Okay. So this is where I want to nerd out with you and get into the details. For those two months, what was your, in as high resolution detail as you're comfortable sharing, what was the process of creating? So it sounds like one of the things that you said is you have to have a workbook. Like, I have no idea what this process looks like. And so I'm really curious, like from the moment you were inspired to that moment you did the first workshop, what was your process of bringing this into the world? Like Maybe stupidity. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, what was the like day-to-day habits? Anything that came, uh, I was getting download information just so fast. Did you have to do anything to get into a state to get the information? Like, did you have to like no. go out into the forest uh, and go no. on a walk? No. It was just happening? No. I think that's a, I think that's useful. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Uh, I think, you know, meditation is great, but that's all it is. Once you get to the flow, you don't need to do the, all these other things that distract us from the flow. So the river doesn't have to change. If you're already in the flow of the river. Heard. Yeah. You don't have to yeah. do anything to get into the river. So then right. were the downloads coming to you throughout the day? Did you have like a notebook with you? It could be a word that you might say. Yeah. Uh, that was a big thing, Eric, because I, I've gotten so much information that I lost. A lot of it would happen in the middle of the night. Okay, cool. And I realized I needed to get up in that moment and write it down or it's gone. Right. So like, did you have like a notebook by your bed? Yeah. Or I would sprint down to my computer and start writing. Yeah. And my sister would be like, it's 3 a.m. there. What are you doing? Because she's on the East Coast. Yeah, it's yeah, three yeah, hour yeah, time yeah. difference. She goes, six o'clock my time. What are you doing awake? I go, I'm writing. I have to get this out. Interesting. So the majority of the downloads came as you slept. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. Um, do you have uh, specific memories of like dreams that sparked you to wake up? Or was it more you just woke up with this, like almost like this, you have to give birth? You have to give birth yeah. and right now. Interesting. Yeah. And if you don't, someone else is going to get it. There's some great information I left floating out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, yeah. So please, someone Heard. go pick it up. <laughs> yeah. have, have you found, is there anything that you, so I'm curious, 
Are there behaviors that if you engage in, you find that you're less likely to get a download at night? Absolutely. Or are there behaviors that you do do that enhance the chance of you having downloads? And what would they be? Well, your typical distractions, um, alcohol, it definitely affects yeah. uh, to where you don't get the downloads. Sure. Um, that's why I was kind of picking on you with the mushrooms, but there are times where that becomes very helpful. Yeah. Not that I've never done mushrooms, but that state, if you can remember what happened, I, sure. I just did a shaman journey a few months ago and it was amazing, Eric, because you could go within yourself and see your own shit, which is fascinating. But then you could also hear everyone's conversation around you, but it wasn't a distraction noise. Yeah, They were all distinct conversations that wasn't like you were in a rock concert and just the crowd was going, ah, right? For sure. And I remember this guy asking this woman a question, how much love can you receive before you feel overwhelmed? Wow. And I went, that's a beautiful question. That's a great question. <laughs> right? And that's what we were talking about by why we give certain levels and stages of, well, because if I give you what I really know, you'll be so overwhelmed. And yeah. I've seen it happen a couple of times, sure. you know, uh, where you could lose friends by giving them this and they can't handle it. Yeah. 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 It's like if you give someone who's never done mushrooms five grams, you're being irresponsible. You yeah. Know? Like it's, it's, it's too much. And there's also this really interesting idea um, where like unearned wisdom can hurt you. You know, like if- Can you preach that some more? Right? <laughs> Un, unearned wisdom can harm you, you know? Yes. And it, it can traumatize you too, because there are like, it's one of those things where if, if, <laughs> if a baby knew about how hard their life might be in 40 years, they might not try to learn how to walk. Right. You know, like, it's just like, fuck taxes. No, you know, and then they don't try to learn how to walk. Absolutely. Uh, I just, uh, I was just hearing somebody, they, they read the emotion code book and just from reading the book. Now they want to do what the author is doing in the book. And then they contacted me and they're like, I want to take every level of your course and I'm going to do it within a year. I just started laughing. I'm like, first of all, it's physically impossible to fit all the classes mm. in in a year. <laughs> but no, you won't. It's going to yeah. take you six months just to digest my level two class. And just because you read something in a book doesn't sure. mean you know it. For sure. And I'll tell you, the work that I've created did not come from any book. Right. It just comes from knowing. And Do you still challenging get downloads? Absolutely. I, and so are you? I'm still learning. Right. I'm still learning what I do. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. I learn every class I take, every patient client I work on. They are my teacher. Yeah. You know. So, like I said, when I was getting these downloads, I didn't just accept them as true. I went, okay, I got this. Let's challenge this. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't work then I'm not going to include it. Yeah. So if you give me an exercise or whatever, I don't know what your background is, but you, you were talking about exercise earlier, but I will go, all right, I'll try it. 
and then I'll see if it's in my best interest. Yeah. Like, did squatting 600 pounds injure me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I'll try it. But if it did, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do. Yeah. So any download I got, I would put it to a challenge. I'm like, it has to pass this test. Otherwise, it's not good. Yeah. Do you feel... Okay, so I feel like um, a, a part of intimacy is to be able to share your truth. Yes. And it feels like you're at a point now where you genuinely are experiencing that there are things that you just can't tell people. Do you feel like that's disconnected you? And do you feel kind of alone in this sense of there's this mountain of things that I can't tell most people? There's a lot in that question. Uh, first of all, the intimacy. Uh, people really misconstrue what intimacy is, and I love your definition of it because that is the actual truth. Yeah. Um, there was a, a group that I was a part of, and there was a study done, and they said that most humans spend less than 30 minutes in intimacy their entire life. Whoa. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to, to state that. Now I'm trying to remember your second half of your question as part of the brain injury. Sure, so could you, could, just, could you remember? Yeah. Uh, that, Please give me that. So it feels like to me that intimacy is when I can um, uninhibitedly share whatever the truth is of my situation. But it seems like you're at a point in your life and your development that there are, it feels like a mountain of stuff behind you that you almost can't share because it could actually hurt. And so mm -hmm. do you feel like that's isolated you in some way or kind of removed you from intimacy? hasn't removed me from intimacy. It's actually taken me closer to it. Mm. But there is a loneliness to right. it. Um, there's not many people that I can speak to or talk to. As I'm loving this conversation I'm going to have with you and, and anybody listening. But I have a couple of friends now that I can talk to. Right. Um, and that's like I just taught my first level five class in uh, February. One of the reasons for teaching that class. Two people you can talk to. <laughs> so yeah. those people I could talk to. Yeah, man. <laughs> I yeah. had to get it out because it was becoming suffocating. Yeah. So it was just kind of like what you were talking about. So there is this, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. So there is a big responsibility not to take somebody too close to the sun. For sure. You know, right away. Uh, so that part I totally get and, and the loneliness, yes, but I'm, getting people now that I can meet and experience and, and meeting people like you now, it's just, it's, it's so exciting. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, I got people I can talk to. I got people I can talk to <laughs> yeah. without judgment, without, I'm yeah. um, just seeing the magic spoon there, which is perfect. Uh, that it's not dumbing down. Cause I hate that term, But yes, I can't share everything I know and everything I see, everything I hear, everything I feel. Right. Yeah. And the thing that's really interesting to me, so one of my favorite like people from history is a psychologist named Carl Jung. Yeah. And he has this great quote. So um, he wrote the intro for one of his students who wrote a book about kind of like it was a really good explanation of Jungian psychology better than Jung could describe it. Mm. And Jung wrote this foreword to this dude's book. And it was like, um, this is the book that I wish I could have written, but I am the man stumbling into the dark territory 
taking the arrows and falling into the pits so that the people behind me don't have to, you know, do the same. Yeah. It's this feeling of if you're the first person to that part of the territory, you're going to fall and stumble and it's going to be much harder for you. And then the people behind you can like build the houses and make the towns and make the cities. And so it's, it's really interesting to me to get to meet someone in person who's kind of doing that same archetypical dance. And I'm wondering, have you found kind of some of the people so far who are like going to be your house builders behind the path that you're setting? Does that question make sense? Freaking crystal clear <laughs> sense. Uh, I'm excited to read that book that you mentioned yeah, yeah. because it's so true. Uh, people don't understand because I call them karaoke creators. They're just taking information that they've seen and they're trying to right. wrap it themselves. And they and think it's new, but it's not new. Is you can feel in someone's body. Like I have a friend like this and I love him, but there are things that I will say that I will hear him say to a friend and you can feel that he's not connecting to those words yeah. and that he's trying to run the script of what he thought was interesting in a past conversation, but it's not coming from his core. Right. You know, and that sounds to me like what those type of, I just loved your description about walking into the darkness and then trying to help explain it to other people. Yeah. And, and the, the image that came into my head was, uh, there was a story as a kid. So this is going to take us back to kind of the beginning was, uh, and I'm forgetting his name, but Big John, who who had the two sledgehammers and he competed against the new machine oh, right, to yeah, build the tunnel. Yeah, 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 yeah. That uh, was a big story of my, my interesting, childhood. Interesting, man. Uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Um, I know it was just Big John and I... Yeah, but I know exactly what you're talking about. It was one of the first like myths that came from North America and it was like when we were trying to lay down the railroads, the yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. the railroads, and, and huh. so I feel like Big John with these just a hammer tool, yeah, and the people behind me are going to create better tools, yeah. Um, like I'll say awesome. things and I think it's clear, and Julieta will come on and you know it's one of the, the one of my prime students and she'll explain what i think i said <laughs> yeah yeah man for sure you know so yeah. it but that's so valuable yeah to have her to be able to take what i'm she because she can hear what's in my head mm. but with head injury it doesn't always get to the paper the way it should yeah. you know but she's able to hear what's in my head and be able to yeah. interpret it this is also super fascinating because young's prime student that was the best at explaining what he said was also female. And I feel like there's this like duality between man and woman where they're like, there seems to be a pattern that um, people who are inventors of new type of frameworks, it tends to be that their best interpreter to the masses tends to be a female, mm -hmm. like it tends to be a female student. And I just wonder like, if there's like a muse archetype going on there where like, a woman who's really connected to you knows what you mean, even without you saying the words. And then she might actually be able to do a better job with the words to give it to the, you know, all the people. Yeah. 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 That's, that's um, yeah. I have, uh, I have both a male and a female that are just doing a great job of, of uh, working with that and translating yeah. and taking the work and making it more clear. Cause what I realized I'm giving you an outline and I'm expecting people to use their imagination and fill in the blanks. Mm. 
unfortunately, that's not how people learn these days. <laughs> they want A, B, C, D, E, F. And A1, A2, <laughs> A3, A4, B1. Yeah. yeah. And the body doesn't work that way. The yeah. spirit doesn't work that way. Yeah. The mind doesn't work that way. Uh, it doesn't compartmentalize that way. It only does that so we can make us a comprehension of what's really going on. Yeah. So that, it, in fact, is limiting you. So I... Uh, I think what's happening here is uh, just an example. You wear glasses. I don't. Maybe I, I, I should at some point so I can actually <laughs> read. But what, so my world is magno. It's out here. And what we find with people with glasses is it's more narrow because yeah. that's where the focus is. So so the, so Julietta and John and some of my and Kimberly, they're able, I'm able to speak here. And they're able to go, okay, now I can sure. fine-tune the message from this giant space that I'm seeing. And that's why when you th think you're asking me a really simple question, which none of your questions are I simple, know, <laughs> right? which, I know. which are beautiful. <laughs> I absolutely love it, Eric. Um, I hear a simple question and I go, boom, how can I bring this down here and tell you yeah. the answer? Yeah. And that's what I'll do in the level one class this weekend. Yeah. So speaking of hard questions, uh, the question that was coming up for me was in as brief of a way as you feel comfortable or can, um, what is your conception of, uh, I know this is going to be an insane question, but what is your conception of reality? Like, what are the, like, what's going on here? So just to give you kind of a framework, I simultaneously have the materialistic investigator in one part of my mind. Mm -hmm. And then I have the, everything is connected. There are no act. And I can't, I, I let both of these characters talk and debate inside of mm -hmm. me, but for sure the, this is a material world and maybe there's stuff that we don't understand. Like that's kind of where I'm coming from. I'm curious, what's your framework for what this is? Thank you for your definition of reality, because that was going to be my question back to you was what is your definition of reality? And that's what I always come from is what is your definition of that word? So I can kind of at least talk see where to you're you. at. And then start yeah. To talk around but I think it's brilliant. And I think we need that, Eric. We need that. Here's the vast possibility. Yet here's where we are. Although if we're just in the vast of all one you don't put your pants on you don't drive a car right yeah. you, you can't survive yeah in the world you're, you're floating off in the space without right. a tether exactly so you we need that tether because this is what we are but the re see this is like what is reality mm -hmm. because your reality is different from my reality. Sure. If we just look out this window and we see this tree here and I ask you, what do you see? You're going to say, maybe, I'm not going to put words in your mouth because you're a little different in a good <laughs> way, right? But it would be like, oh, I see the leaves, I see the trees. Right. Well, do you see the space between right. those leaves and the space between those trees? Yes. Yeah. You know, and I, but I, and uh, this shaman I, I I've been talking with, he's just fascinating. Is like the way society is is like society is one of those leaves, and it's telling all the other leaves to go away without mm -hmm. realizing that they're to leave, and they eventually are going to fall too. Yeah. So it's just fascinating. Uh, it's all about perspective and perception.
Yeah. And that your reality is different from my reality. Well, they're not too far off but <laughs> from someone else's <laughs> yeah. reality. Yeah. You know, I guess the thing that I'm trying to get at is um, within the frame. Yeah. This is how I break it down. Yeah. I always say structure dictates function. Mm-hmm. And in the body working world, the muscle or the bone structure is dictating the muscle function. Mm-hmm. And people have a really hard time with that concept. But if you take structure dictates function, it's a very basic concept. We have a hydrogen atom. By itself, it's a hydrogen atom. We have an oxygen atom. By itself, it's an oxygen atom. You bring two H's together with the O, and now we got water. Mm-hmm. That structure dictates function. So that's also our reality. It's how we piece things together. That is the reality. So I break it down. So I see things as it's all one, but it's all coming from, you know, carbon and hydrogen and oxygen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I break it down to the basic elements. Atom, right? It's proton, electron. And a neutron. It's getting weird though with quantum that they got quarks and they got neutrinos. <laughs> it's getting real weird. Yeah. But, you, but you but you have to actually think but about that. I do like, understand what you're what, saying. What created the the positive? What created the negative? So I ca- I can get where that quantum is going, right? Because you, if everything is energy, we're all energy. You can't stop energy from flowing, though people try. Right? They try to stop the ocean from making waves. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> all right. So. They try to create these bubbles around themselves and do all this stuff to stop energy from coming. You can't. Yeah. It's so like just the, the king trying to keep the flood out. Right. You know, and yeah. it's coming. Way to circle back around, <laughs> Eric. <laughs> um, I like to, so I guess to, because I don't want to move on from this question just yet. Okay. Fr- from the framework of the technique that you're teaching people, what are the, at least the broad, so like what I'm imagining is there's, we have a physical body in the material world. Yep. That's at least one level. But we also have an emotional body that is not quite in the material world all the way. And then there's like a spiritual body, which is almost, I'm not sure how you see this, but it might not be in the physical world at all. And so I'm just wondering, like, what are the conceptions as they kind of emanate out from the body of the framework that you have for what the world is yeah you actually just explained it because i start with the physical body yeah and i am looking at joint function i'm looking at are these bones lined up with each other so the muscle can do its job right where everyone else looks at the muscle tries to work on the muscle interesting yeah for sure because almost all the body work i ever get it's, it's on the muscle and not yeah on the <laughs> and if you look at one of the major keystones in the body is the talus of the foot. Mm-hmm. So it's in our ankle and it has no muscular attachments. Huh? That's what I said. Huh? Then why, if, if this most important structure of our foot on the floor has no muscular attachments, then apparently muscles don't matter all that much. Wow. That's what goes through my head. So I start to start to see and think things a little bit differently. Yeah. Like I, I want to teach an anatomy class where I take the skull, the bones of the skull, and I show you how they're exactly the same as the hip. They function exactly the same. They're the yin and yang of the body. Oh. So, you know, we have inflare and outflare of the pelvis. Well, our head has an inflare and an outflare too. Your head is breathing. I see what you're saying. Your man. head is getting bigger as you inhale and smaller as you exhale. 
So however somebody takes a picture of you, if, if it's on an inhale, your face is going to look different than if it's on an exhale. Whoa. If things are not moving the way they should. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but people don't see that and look at that, and that's what I look at when I'm looking at somebody. So there's the bone structure. The bone structure. And yeah. then what? And then the then there's the emotion structure. So I'm just going to follow your, your pattern because it was perfect. The emotion structure, which actually can inhibit movement. Yeah, for sure. Right? So all I have to do is remove the, or change, not remove the emotion, give that emotion a different perspective, and now the joint can move. Right. Hmm. And people are like, but you didn't touch me. I go, I know. I I had a woman come to me for frozen shoulder. Couldn't move their arm. Both arms, frozen. And I never touched her. We sat down and had a conversation like you and I are having. Right. And at the end of the session, she had full range of motion and all movement of her shoulder. See, okay, so this fascinates me because, like, I'm really big into studying psycho or, like, the psychologists from 100 years ago that came, like, that, and that discovered this idea of the unconscious mind. And they thought, I'm not, I'm just going to talk to you and just talking to you will help you. And they just ignored the body. And it's just, right. you know, they just didn't have the same tools that we have now. But what I'm hearing here is that there's this amazing connection between the body and the talking that if you work on both at the same time, it seems to be more powerful than if you just are like Freud yeah. and you make them turn the other way and you don't look at their body and you only talk. Like, it seems like you're missing something fundamental. Absolutely. And the big piece that's missing, and this is key, and it goes back to your reality question. The mind doesn't see it as a reality until it experiences it. Right. So you have to create an experiential experience in order for it to become real to the mind. Right. So that's why you have to work with movement or with the body at the same time as you're talking. Yeah. And sometimes it has to be done together. Sometimes you have to do the physical first. Sometimes you have to do the emotion first. But if you can do them both together at the same time, that's where the power comes in. Interesting. And that's why we say, voila, is experiential. And people will get frustrated with that. But until you experience it, you don't understand what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the... What's happening with Freud is he's not creating an experience. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. He's maximizing the amount of hours you will have to come because he's just talking. He's just letting you talk and saying, hmm. Right. You know, and which is great. Right. But I've had psychologists come to me. And, you know, the first time I meet somebody, I may not go to like the depths that I can go to. And this one psychologist, I'm sitting there and he goes, Joel, let it rip. I'm like, okay, thank you. So I go, okay, da 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 da. He goes, what's going on? He goes, well, I'm not going to say the specifics of what's going on, but I tell him and he looks at me and he goes, how did you get that so fast? I have been talking with my colleagues for 10 years trying to get rid of this and you did it in 10 seconds. I go, that's just voila. (laughs) (laughs) It's the method of creative of, so while is about listening to the body, the body, your body is giving me every answer if I'm paying attention and listening. So it goes back to what Amen. you said earlier yeah. about, I'm not fixing you. 
I'm just listening to what your body is telling me it wants me to do. I'm and, and it's giving me the only the information that I'm capable of. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. Or at least that's what you're going to get. Right. So the body process. will challenge you. This is yeah. what I find. So someone first comes to me, I'll start off with a little physical correction. And then their, their mind starts going, hmm, that feels good. Let me give them something a little more. Interesting. And yeah. then you'll make a correction at, and then they're like, then the real story will come out. Yeah. And they're like, hey, can you do something about this? Yeah. Hey, let's see. I don't know. Yeah. And you play. If you had to kind of hypothesize what what you think the mechanism is that's giving or allowing you to do this type of work. Like if, if you just had to play armchair scientist or philosopher and kind of make a hypothesis about what you think is actually happening that allows you to do the work that you're doing, what would be, what would come to mind? Getting into the flow, dropping the ego. Um, it's really funny. I had people say, oh, this is ego work. I'm like, you don't understand it because if you're an ego thinking I'm fixing anything, then you totally missed the point. You, you get in your own way. You right? totally get in your own way. And it just kind of goes to just, just listening to this uh, podcast. You can see how when we first started with the questions, there was a little bit of guarding between both of us <laughs> going on, right? Yeah. And now it's more free-flowing. For sure. Right? But that's a natural progression. Right? I can't. And you can't be just a wide open vessel to take on everything. Mm -hmm. So that's where the ego is a beautiful thing. And sure. it helps us. It, it helps us from taking on all the, every, just everything. And just being, you know, completely. people say, oh, I'm an empath. I feel everything. Uh, don't get me started on that. No, for sure. So. I, I actually just was ranting about that yesterday. That's oh, so good. funny. That's so funny. So the ego is there to protect us. So... That's why I start off with the physical stuff to let that ego to go, look, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to challenge you. I'm just here to show you, not even show you. That that was the wrong word, Eric. But just let the let the body know you have a friend. And that's why I come across in, in all in all my sessions. And once that ego drops a little bit, we'll go, oh, well, now I'm gonna challenge you. So that's ego again, right? That body's gonna challenge you. Can you take care of this thing? It's a little bit harder than the one I first right. gave you. And then the ego will drop and go, oh, this guy knows what he's doing, or this girl knows what it, sure. woman knows what he's doing, and will give you free reign, which you have to be very responsible with. Absolutely, man. With yeah. free reign. Yeah. So the way that I like to end the podcast is I like to ask some um, word association questions. So I'll just say a word or a phrase, and then you just say whatever is the first thing that comes okay. to your mind. Are you game? Sure. Cool. Uh, let me pull up these questions. So we'll edit this out, but my computer froze. Oh, okay. So I... Good. Give me a chance to get some water. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pull it up on here. And I love your total human optimization, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, on its tagline. Yeah.
All right. Okay. Word or phrase that captures your life philosophy? Third, first thing that popped into my head was live and let live. Word or phrase that cuts to the core of who you are? Character. What are you most afraid of? My own power. What is your most persistent problem? Public communication, getting my ideas across. Would you say you're more street smart or analytic? Both. I'm a Gemini. Her. <laughs> <laughs> Rule follower or risk taker? Never been a follower. Would you say your need for control is low, medium, or high? That's a fantastic question. So it comes down to what your definition of control is and letting go of control is hard. So I'm going to say medium. Her. <laughs> Would you say you're more intellectually or physically competitive? Again, Gemini, both, <laughs> uh, but more, more so physically. Would you say you're more critical of yourself or of others? Myself. Do you prefer fast or slow choices? Fast. Pressure comes from? Myself. And what does it feel like in the body? The pressure, I don't feel it. In your tribe or group, would you say you're more the king, the warrior, the magician, or the lover? Yeah, because there's actually an aspect of all four, but uh, I go king. Heard. <laughs> it all comes down to love. Success is success is everything is what came into my head. Everything. Uh, success is a fun thing because people have fear of success and they have fear of fear of failure, and they're the same thing. Yeah. So, fear. Final love. answer. <laughs> <laughs> love is. Love is love. My vision. To heal the world and win the Nobel Prize. I am. I am. My purpose. My purpose is to help others see things differently. The most defining moment of my life. Still to come. And this is the first part of the last question. Let's say that you're at the end of your life. You've done everything that you want to do. You know that the next day you're going to die peacefully in your sleep. How would you want to spend that last day? And who would you want to spend it with? Well, I haven't met them yet. That I know. Even though I have great friends in the village, surrounded by the village that I'm creating. And if you could leave one message on a single piece of paper to your children or your grandchildren, what would be that last thing that you would leave before you pass? Be you and find the flow. Brother, thank you for coming on. Thank you. Awesome.